the Ghost Goal Podcast. The 2022 World Cup field is starting to take shape, as Wales sealed their first ticket since 1958 to November's Qatar World Cup Finals, leaving a shattered Ukrainian side just short of their goal of reaching the World Cup with a 1-0 win in Cardiff on Sunday. Meanwhile, there's two more places to be decided, as early next week Australia and Peru will face off for the right to join France, Denmark, and Tunisia in Group D, and Costa Rica and New Zealand will do the same on Tuesday for a place with Spain, Germany, and Japan in Group E. I'm Alex, here with Javier. We're going to talk uh, just at the beginning of the pod, a few few minutes here about these uh, World Cup places and how the field is uh, shaping out. Uh, But today's pod is mainly a Premier League recap pod. Uh, We're going to do two parts, one this week and one next week. This week, we're going to be giving uh, grades and thoughts for the uh, bottom half teams in the Premier League. Uh, So stay tuned for that in a a short while. Uh, But welcome to episode 360 of the Ghost Goal podcast. Javier, how are you doing, man? Doing well, doing well. Uh, Excited for this Australia versus Peru qualifier. You know, I just want to get it over and done with and qualify for the world cup you know just having this game looming looming over is uh it's nerve-wracking as for the whole nation yeah i bet well i mean you shouldn't i don't think you should be too worried because you you did beat them 2-0 in the last world cup when you were in the same group as them it was kind of a dead rubber but you know still a competitive game uh and uh, from what i i can see australia are a much worse side from then and you guys are a good amount better so uh, I think you should be okay, but you never know in a, in a one-game playoff. Uh, that, that's going to be Monday, uh, June 13th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. going to be taking place in Qatar. Uh, they've, uh, Australia just beat the United Arab Emirates earlier today, 2-1. Kind of snuck by them. I, I think we both thought they might be able to handle the UAE a little bit more easily. So probably a good sign for you guys that they're uh, you know, kind of <laughs> scraping through that one. Uh, it's going to be a much tougher test for them when they play Peru. But uh, I don't want to rush you, but what what would be your score prediction for that one? Probably 2-0 Peru. Uh, I mean, it could be like a KG 1-0, though these games usually are. But yeah, I'll say I'll say 2-0 Peru. I think we're good enough better than them. And, you know, battle-hardened after a 20-game a, a qualification run to, to playing Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, Chile, Uruguay. You know, all those great soccer nations so it's uh it it brings you to the point where you play teams like you know australia or or if we eventually go to the world cup against france or denmark you know the team's not going to be scared they're they're going to be able to play their style they're going to be you know try to play possession play you know through through the opposition it doesn't matter if you're france or denmark so i think we'll see that in play here and gareca now has been the coach for you know, almost a decade. So having that consistency is is has just you know been able to elevate Peru to be able to probably be able to go to two straight World Cups after not being there for thirty six years. So pretty crazy yeah, happening. Be a huge achievement. Yeah. Do you, Do you know if Renato Tapia is going to be available? I noticed he uh, Gareca was trying out a midfield with uh, Aquino at uh, at defensive midfield and and Yotun, but Tapia, I think he's injured at the moment. Uh, do, do you know if he's going to be ready for that game? Because I feel like he's your like your linchpin in midfield. I I do not know if he's going to be fit or not, but I think they're going to keep that uh, you know secret. I think he's he's definitely training. So I've seen pictures that that he's there. So I don't know if that means that he might be on the bench. You know, uh, I don't know how much we'll necessarily need him. I think we're just going to have to be able to break down like a yeah, very resolute I, defense. So yeah. if he's not there, it's not the end of the world in this game. Obviously, we need him at the World Cup. Yeah, of course. I bring that up for Australia. Aquino's more, more attacking-wise. I mean, he, he can probably offer yeah. us a little bit more than Tapia. So if we want to break down a, a sturdy, you know, uh, you, you probably start with Yotun and, and Aquino. So that's probably why he's doing it. Yeah, I mean, I'm bringing I bring him up just because the the one area of the field that Australia like may you know be able to 
push back a little bit in is midfield with Aaron Moy, formerly of Manchester City and Huddersfield, for all you Premier League fans. And then what's the uh, Frankfurt player's name? Hurstich? That's uh, like the one area of the field where you look and you think, oh, they've got a bit of quality there. But uh, yeah, I mean, even without uh, Tapia, you should still be able to dominate the possession and and win that game. Um, the other qualifier, I don't have as uh, much insight on that one, but uh, Costa Rica are going to be facing New Zealand the next day, also in Qatar. They're doing these intercontinental playoffs uh, between South America and uh, the, the final Asian qualifier, technically Australia qualify from Asia, and then also the final uh, CONCACAF qualifier, Costa Rica, with the Oceania uh, qualifier, New Zealand. Did you watch any of that Peru-New Zealand friendly? Do you have any uh, any, any yeah, wisdom to impart regarding I mean, New Zealand? New Zealand are, are, are a physical team. They're, they've got a lot of you know six-foot-plus tall players, and Costa Rica are, uh, are a team of Latinos. You know, and they're they're pretty decent. Well, yeah, team. I was about to say Costa Costa Rica are plenty physical themselves. Uh, I, I, I do worry a little bit because it seems to me like Costa Rica kind of coast in Concacaf off their home field advantage. Uh, obviously, they're they're going to be the favorites uh, for this one since you know on paper they do have a good bit more talent than New Zealand. But in a one game playoff on a neutral venue. I kind of think this one's a bit of a coin flip. I wouldn't even dare to predict it, to be honest. But I think it's understandable that people would probably lean towards uh, Costa Rica. But in any event, like whichever of those two teams does win that and get to the World Cup, that that group of Spain, Germany, and Japan is a it's a fucking <laughs> nightmare of a group. So uh, I can't. I'm not gonna you know predict either of those teams, Costa Rica or New Zealand, to do well in the World Cup either way. So it kind of feels like an afterthought to me uh but are, are you leaning the same way that you think costa rica will get out yeah i mean i think costa rica will get out because they have just a, a a more talented squad but you never know new zealand could uh, hunker down get them on a set piece and, and win one nil like you said it's at a neutral venue and i bet you there'll be more fans from new zealand there it's not that far from qatar jesus christ this is leeds all over again <laughs> I feel like they're about as far from Qatar as the other one is. Like they're both just like uh, ages from Qatar. But uh, yeah, uh, do, do you like this format where instead of playing two legs for these playoffs, uh, home and away, they're now doing the one game uh, qualifier in Qatar? I, I I don't know if that's just for the scheduling reasons or not. But remember, you guys had to play New Zealand home and away for the last World Cup to, to in that playoff game do you like that system more or this one game playoff more i kind of like the one game playoff you know just just one game and you're in i yeah. guess you'll tell me after monday yeah right? i'll let you know <laughs> i guess you'll, you'll know you'll know the answer after monday all right uh yeah so those are the two uh you know quick previews we wanted to hit on for uh the world cup because they will be the the final two uh deciders for the last two places in the the tournament's field uh, but I did just want to mention, uh, like I said in the intro, Wales did qualify uh, to uh, enter Group B with USA, England, and Iran. I was very heartbroken by this, Javier. I was really rooting for Ukraine. I know I, I was talking about them. As yeah, everybody. Like a, a lot of people were. But a, a dark horse yeah, for the for World Wales. Cup. I thought they, for Wales. It's been they were way better than years. Wales. They yeah. dominated the game. They had a million chances. Wayne Hennessy pulled out like pulled out a, some a random perf- great performance out of nowhere. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you, you could be kind of happy for Wales. It's just given the circumstances, I think everyone would have liked to see Ukraine at the tournament a little bit more. Just you know, for for many reasons on and off the field. Uh, but yeah, congrats to Wales. Um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing if uh, Gareth Bale goes to the World Cup having not played for a club team. I'm not saying I'm predicting he won't play, he won't sign for a club. Uh, he is out of contract with Real Madrid, so he's certainly looking for a new club, but I don't know. He just seems like the kind of like maverick kind of guy that would just, you know, train on his own, you know, play a ton of golf and then play at the World Cup and then once that's over retire. That just seems like the Gareth Bale move for me. And I don't know. I would just. That would be a great move from him, you know, not not let himself deteriorate more and more. 
Yeah, who knows if uh, you, you could see it going either way. If he signs for a club, he may just end up like getting injured like a month before the World Cup anyway and not being ready. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. That wouldn't be the worst outcome. But we'll obviously uh, preview that group much closer to the time when we've got a better idea of who is available and who isn't. So let's turn our attention back to the Premier League. Like I said in the intro, we're going to be doing uh, grades for this season for each team, working our way from uh, 20th place Norwich all the way up to first place Manchester City. Going to do it in two parts, uh, teams 20 through 11 on this episode, and then tune in next week for our top half grades and takes. So for each team, we're doing a grade out of 100. I'll probably just give my grade out of 100 and then give it as a a letter grade, uh, and then we'll, we're going to be doing a biggest surprise uh, from that team and the biggest disappointment from that team. And this is open ended for a reason. So uh, you you don't have to pick <clears throat> players per se. You can do managers, situations, whatever. Uh, so let's have at it. Start off with Norwich. Uh, finished in twentieth place on twenty two points, one point better than uh, they they managed last time out uh, in the Premier League. Javier. Give me your grade. Well, because they basically had absolutely no chance of staying up at any point, and you know they just never looked like they were ready to be in the Premier League from the moment they were in it. So I'm going to give them a thirty. You know, the, just a, a little bit of uh, a few points for effort, but uh, yeah, just a horrible failure. What about you? I'm, I'm going to give them a fifty. Oh, a little bit better. 50. Okay, a little bit more generous. Of I mean. This is where this is where I'm like a little confused about what we're doing with the no, with the, they're the absolute trash. You know, you, they got like nothing right basically the whole season is what I'm saying. Um, but uh, I think they got one thing right. Uh, they got one thing right when they signed Dean Smith. Like that's like a legitimate manager that they can like build for the future under. And you know they finally sacked up and got rid of Daniel Farca. So uh, somehow Daniel Farca has now just recently ended up as the manager of Borussia Mönchengladbach. Like talk about failing upwards. It's uh, it's a miracle, but yeah, they, they they finally got rid of him after he proved in two different Premier League seasons that he wasn't good enough. So to at least get Dean Smith through the door, who I think we all knew when he took over, it was going to be a big ask for him to keep them safe. So uh, it was more of a look towards next season, rebuilding the squad in a suitable way that they can come up again in the future and actually stay up. So yeah, I'll give them a 50 for that. Uh, what, what, who was your biggest surprise uh, in uh, the Norwich season? I have Timu Puki. I know that we've seen him in the, the league, but now it's been a couple of years. He's a couple years older. What's what's surprising about uh, him? I mean, I was just surprised he got to double digits again in another relegation team. 11 goals, 3 assists for Puki, and just a very consistent player who I think you know probably could give another couple good years. I think if a team going up right now, you know, they someone should should take him away from Norwich and and use him for a couple more seasons in the Premier League because he's still a pretty good striker. So I was just surprised that even in such a shit team, he still still shined again. Uh, and my biggest disappointment was Josh Sargent. Sorry, America fans, but he had two goals, one assist. He played a lot of minutes, especially at the beginning of the season for Norwich. And just missed chance after chance after chance. And, yeah, just was very, very disappointing for Norwich fans. You know, he signed for, you know, uh, with a lot of excitement behind him and uh, hasn't really lived up to it. So let's see how he does in the in the championship. He might be decent there, but just not a Premier League striker. Yeah, and both those goals came in that Watford game. I mean, one of them was an amazing goal. Remember the, like, the, the backheel flick where he just flicked his foot up and put it in off the crossbar? But that was against Watford. So uh, I do think that was only a loan, though. So I think he's going back to Germany um, where, you know, maybe he'll fare better there. Uh, my biggest surprise is going to be Matthias Norman, the uh, Norwegian center midfielder that uh, that Norwich signed from uh, Brighton this season. I mean, his stats aren't they don't jump off the page, but uh, he, he was the player that was keeping Billy Gilmore out of the, the team much earlier in the season and was like legitimately the only player that uh, early in the season when you watched them like looked like he belonged in the Premier League next to Pukki. Uh, he's not like a super young player, 26, but um, yeah, he was a real linchpin in midfield for them and a real box-to-box presence. So I was pleasantly surprised with him. 
And then my biggest disappointment for them was uh, Milos Rashica, who was the, uh, the the Bosnian winger who was brought in to replace Buendia. And he had like good moments, but uh, he he never really he never really had a run of games where he was you know doing what he was brought in to do. You know, take players on down the wings, set up uh, others for for chances. So uh, I think that was alone as well. So he's going to uh, go back to Germany, and it won't really affect him. So yeah, Milos Rashica for me. Uh, let's move on to 19th place, Watford. So I gave Norwich a 50. I'm giving Watford a 59 because I, I think it was a very bad season for them as well. But I'm a little confused how. I mean, you go ahead and jump into your grade because yeah, I mean, I, I gave them, you, I gave them a I don't know 55. How you make that big of a difference? Uh, but I think they gave it a better, much better go. You know, hiring multiple managers, they had good. Uh, they made a very good attacking signing um, in Emmanuel Dennis, who was my who was my biggest surprise. He had ten goals, six assists, coming out of the Belgian league, and definitely Premier League quality. And I think they gave it a good go. I mean, I think that they didn't have the 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 backline. I've I've criticized their their wing backs and their center backs. You know, their goalkeeper. They need they they have a thirty eight year old Ben Foster in there. So there, there's a lot of things that they need to switch around to change. They'll they'll probably come straight back up if they're able to keep their attacking talent. So they still have Ismail Assar, you know, Xiao Pedro, Josh King. So. It's not all doom and gloom for Watford. I think they can come straight back up. Um, that's why I gave them, a, you know, a better F. They still failed because they went down. But uh, my biggest disappointment was also for me, Musa Sissoko, who was the captain for them this season, played in the heart of midfield for the whole time, and he missed so many chances in big situations that could have gotten points for Watford. You know, he just whenever you put the responsibility on this guy's shoulder. He rarely has lived up to it in his career. There was a period for France where he did and for Tottenham for a couple seasons. But when you needed him the most in this situation, he, he just he wasn't there for Watford. So Musa Sissoko was my biggest disappointment. What about you, Alex? What were your... Uh... Yeah, I realized I read the wrong grade. I went down to my Burnley grade. I gave them a 59. So my, my actual grade for Watford was a 50. Still an F, but uh, the same grade as Norwich. Yes, Watford had more moments, like like the four one win against Manchester United. I think they gave you guys a scare at uh, at Watford in the three two game, um, and they're, they're probably more they were more entertaining to watch. But I, I just thought the managerial appointments, Renieri and then Hodgson, they were just like very uninspired. Like they only gave Cisco Munoz, the the Spanish manager they started the season with, I think they gave him like three games, and then fired him. Uh, so clearly they were never really, you know, that invested in him to begin with at that point. I don't know why you don't just fire the manager, uh, even if he got you promoted and then hire someone else. So he has a preseason. So I just felt like they really mishandled like the whole season. Their biggest surprise. I'm going to go with, uh, Cucho Hernandez, the, uh, I think Colombian winger. Is he Colombian? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Uh, but yeah, he finished the season with five goals and three assists Some absolutely some absolute thunder bastards of goals too. The opening day uh, curler he scored uh, in their their yes, home win. Crazy I think against, nice goals for sure. Yeah, great goal. The bicycle kick against Arsenal. Um, yeah, he was he, he was a, a surprise for me. I think the other players like Emmanuel Dennis, Ismail Sar, Josh King, like we were kind of aware of what they they bring going forward. But Kusha Hernandez was a surprise to me. And uh, the biggest disappointment for me was uh, Daniel Bachman. Uh, he was not their goalkeeper throughout the season, and I think that in and of itself was a big disappointment. He finished last summer as the starting goalkeeper for an Austria team that did pretty well at the Euros. I think everyone thought very highly of them uh, after they like pushed Italy, the eventual like winners, all the way to like extra time, I think it was. And he was a very promising young player for, for Austria and Watford. But he only made 12 appearances, and it wasn't because of injury. It, it was just because uh, Ranieri came in and just thought Ben Foster was the better option. And I think a lot of people like Ben Foster. He's a big like YouTuber and very popular uh, as a personality. But for him, at his very great age, to be making 26 appearances in the Premier League over, over Daniel Bachman, I think that has to be really disappointing 
uh, for uh, for Bachman. So um, yeah, we both have Fs, and uh, yeah, move on to Burnley. Javier, why do you have Burnley with a lower grade than Watford? Because I think Burnley had by far the best, you know, chance of staying up. They had it, you know, they had it in their hands. They didn't need to, I think they didn't need to fire Sean Dyche. He'd kept them up. I know things were going badly, but things had gone badly like that before and he'd turned it around. I think he eventually would have turned it around and they, they, they get what they deserve. I think they mishandled it. Watford and Norwich, the, the, it was always going to be really hard for them to stay up. We, we, you know, they were in our prediction to go down, but it was kind. It was a surprise for everybody that that Burnley's going to be the team now going down. So, I'm going to give them a 45. I think they were uh, just miserable shit season for Burnley, and pretty much nothing good came out of it, other than I guess they have a Champions League striker in Weghorst, who I'll just say right now happens to be my disappointment. Uh, I thought when he came in, he was going to be a, a a big player to get six, seven goals to to keep Burnley up, and he just got a couple of goals, you know, one in one game at the beginning, and then one pretty much at the end of the season, and he had three assists, but just very underwhelming. Pretty much did absolutely nothing for Burnley in the run, and even when they were winning games, he was he was just kind of there and. Yeah, he was a big presence on set pieces and everything, but just wasn't didn't even score really on set pieces. So disappointing for Wegforst. And uh, my biggest surprise was Maxwell Cornet. I mean, nine goals, one assist coming in from Lyon. Not a big price tag. I think it was like seventeen or eighteen million. But he uh, he he lit it up for Burnley and was a threat every single time he played. So very impressed with him. I think. You know, apparently he thought it was a loan and he wanted to go back to France, but uh, no, you're permanently at Burnley, so you're going to be there next season, buddy. I will say I don't, I don't really, I don't really know about that because I think I mentioned previously that they they have like a sixty million loan that is like due to be paid back, like they it was brought ahead that they have to pay it back sooner uh, than anticipated. So I I imagine they're going to have to sell like Cornet and uh, Weghorst to whoever will take them and just you know take whatever money they get and apply it towards that. I, I gave them a fifty nine, like an F, but like the highest form of F. I, I just feel like it it just caught up to them eventually. They were in the Premier League for six seasons, way longer than I think most of us anticipated. They were not good, so that's that's why I still say F, but. Uh, like Burnley always seemed to do, they they gave a real fist of things at the end. They 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 gave it their all, and their all just wasn't enough. My biggest surprise for them was the Ireland centre back I've mentioned previously, Nathan Collins. Uh, didn't play the full season, but you know during the run in when they they were pushing for safety and and looked like they might have it, Nathan Collins was one of the catalysts in defence when uh, Ben Mee was out injured. He uh, stepped up and part- partnered Tarkovsky very well. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do, uh, especially as an Ireland fan going forward. And then my biggest disappointment, I, I think Weghorst is a good shout, but I-, I think everything begins and ends with Dwight McNeil. He's 22 years old. He's been playing in the Premier League for like four years now. He's not new to the Premier League he ended the season playing all 38 games. He had zero goals and one assist. And even those stats, I don't think, tell the full story. Because when you watched him this season, he was just clearly not the same dynamic, progressive uh, player that that really... The, he, he did the things for Burnley in previous seasons that no one else would do for them. Taking players on off the dribble, playing in great crosses uh, from either wing. Uh, and he just never, he never found that this season. And I think that's the main reason why they went down. They needed a player like him to make the next step in his progression. Uh, and they basically needed him to play well enough that some other team comes in and wants to buy him. So yeah, Dwight McNeil for me. Let's move on to Leeds. Leeds finished in 17th place, jumped Burnley on the last day to uh, seal their uh, you know, safety for next season. I gave Leeds a 70, a C-. And the main reason I gave them that high of a grade is because of the injuries. The fact that they survived this season, given you know the, the form says it all, they were not great. They conceded a shitload of goals, but 
I'm, I'm not surprised by that. For them to lose a, a player who produced as much as Patrick Bamford did the previous season and to lose Calvin Phillips for the vast majority of the season, their, their best midfielder and a player who was you know really well and sealed a place in the England team that got to the Euro, Euros finals last season... To lose those two players like by themselves and still uh, stay up is a miracle to me. Like I, I still am trying to figure out how they pulled it off. But they had a bl- bunch of other injuries other than that. You know, like Cooper, their their center back. Uh, yeah, and key injuries like in the run into the season, along with those suspensions. That again, it's a miracle they're still up. So I'm going to give them uh, a seventy, a C minus. Um, they've they lived to fight another day. Javier, how about yourself? Yeah, I, I was not as high on them. I, I gave them a 60. I gave them, you know, pr- pretty much the, the, the lowest grade you could get before failure. So, you know, D minus for them, for me, because there was a lot of expectation coming into the season for Leeds. They were supposed to make that next step up. They looked so bright and promising and they had so many players scoring goals in the side and the side looked so electric and hardworking. And they were just pretty much none of that this season. So they were very, very disappointing for me. Probably one of one of the most disappointing teams, you know, for me. Do you not like curve their grade a little bit? Uh, of course that's I basically do. What of I'm course saying. I do. Because I, I, I mean, I think their season was a complete failure. But staying up, I guess, is 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 good enough for now because of the circumstances and you know, and and for me, like my biggest disappointment was Stuart Dallas. One goal, one assist. This guy last year had eight goals and eight assists. Like. You know, he was killing it. He he produced none of that this season and just did not make that step up at all for them either. Um, I think the one player who surprised me that he was able to stay fit and, and keep this team up was Rafinha. You know, he had 11 goals, three assists, pretty much the mantle for every single one of Leeds' wins and comebacks in the last, you know, 10, 15 games of the season. He pretty much single-handedly kept them up because... A lot of those goals came in the, in the run-in at the end of the season, and, and he was just such a big game player for them. When they needed him, he he showed up. And, I mean, he's probably going to be starting for Brazil in the World Cup. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of teams like Liverpool now that, you know, Mane's probably leaving. Rafinha could be a good replacement, so. Yeah, my biggest surprise is uh, Jesse Marsh. I, I think I was just surprised that... <laughs> Yeah, it's surprised that he pulled off the the escape that he did. He took over at the end of February. He had March, April, and half of May to get them safe, and they were they were flirting with the relegation zone under Bielsa, but uh, weren't fully down there just yet. They incurred even more injuries when Marsh came in, and I, I don't know. I was just really impressed by how he turned things around with uh, that little run they had uh, before they lost to Man City. Uh, Chelsea and Arsenal. They had a run where they beat Norwich with a last-minute winner at home. They uh, came back from a 2-0 deficit at halftime against Wolves to win 3-2, despite having like three players go off injured in, in the first half on top of all their other injuries. And uh, yeah, continued that with a draw with Southampton and uh, a 3-0 win against Watford. Uh, I mean, they didn't win much after that until the final day of the season, but that run when Marsh first came in was, I think, what kind of gave the, like, bare-bones squad players that were, like, getting their first starts, like Lewis Bate and all these guys, it gave them the belief to push on and, and, and eventually, uh, you know, secure their safety. So uh, he was my biggest surprise, and the biggest disappointment, I think, was uh, Junior Firpo, and that's that's kind of a personal one to me. He's a player that ever since his Betis days, I I've always been very high on. Uh, he went to Barcelona, didn't do much there, and they signed and Leeds signed him last summer. He ended the season with 24 appearances, like played in a game with one clean sheet, which I'm not putting all of that on him, and had two assists with no goals. And to me, Junior Firpo, I, I don't like him for the defensive stats. I like him for what he brings as an attacking left wing back, and he just wasn't able to consistently do that this season. But uh, yeah, he could certainly come good on that next season. Moving on to 16th place, Everton got out by the skin of their teeth as well. What do you have for their grade, Javier? Yeah, uh, Everton, just miserable season for them. Obviously, losing Carlo Ancelotti was not the plan. Um, So I gave them a 61, you know, just tiny little bit better than, and still a D, better than Leeds. 
Um, but they were able to stay up when it looked pretty bleak for them. And, you know, not probably not too much to talk about this ever since season. A lot of these fans will probably wash it out of their memory. Um, I'll just talk a little bit about Anthony Gordon um, as my surprise, who I thought did well in the in the second half of the season um, in the big games that mattered for Everton and four goals to assist for a young kid who who was his first time starting this season. I thought he was one of the the only bright spots in this Everton team along with Richarlison. So good good on Anthony Gordon. Um, and f- just for me, I was I was very disappointed with uh, Decore in midfield. I thought he was the type of player who could get seven, eight, ten goals in this Everton side and. He just wasn't that attacking power forward player that he was at Watford, and they paid a lot of money for him. And I just he was just so disappointing a lot of times when when he played. He came off substituted a lot of times because he he just w- just wasn't affecting games nearly as much. You know, just two goals and four assists, not enough from a player like him. What about you, Alex? What were your uh, what were your Everton? I gave them a sixty five along the same lines as you, but uh, still a, a D. Uh, the, the biggest surprise I had, I mean, I, I have to agree with you on Anthony Gordon, but, you know, for variety, uh, well, let it be known, if my, my first pick is Anthony Gordon, but for variety, I'm going with Alex Awobi. Uh, again, didn't light up the stat sheet, had two goals and two assists in his 28 appearances. But I think once Frank Lampard came in and, you know, sort of galvanized the team like we anticipated he would... Alex Iwobi was a huge midfield workhorse for them. I think if you go ahead and check his, like, the distance covered stats and, you know, just his overall, like, work rate defensively, which, you know, Everton were obviously forced to do a lot, uh, a lot of off-the-ball defensive work uh, as the season progressed. Alex Iwobi, he's... It's not going to be, like, a a season that many remember from him, but he really had a, a huge part to play in them and then staying up. And then uh, the biggest disappointment, I have Michael Keane. Even though he had three goals, I think he had a he had one of the goals, maybe the winner or the equalizer against Crystal Palace. So that kind of redeems him in that game where they, uh, you know, they sealed their safety with a game to play. But there were a lot of very high profile mistakes. He was only part of seven clean sheets. Uh, and yeah, I, I just felt like he took a step back this season for Everton. Um, so Southampton up in 15th, they were my pick, uh, before the season to be like the third team, uh, after Watford and Norwich to go down, but they, uh, clearly overperformed that. I made, I made that prediction before they signed Armando Broya. Uh, so I, I gave them a 68, still a D, but they, uh, they keep doing this thing where they only really play well for maybe like a third of the season, and for the other two-thirds of the season, they're just an easy three points for everyone they come across. So I, I didn't see the progression under Hudel that I think a lot of people would have liked. So uh, still, a, still a D for me. What about you? Yeah, same, same lines as you. Uh, basically, I gave them a 65. I thought they were disappointing this season. I thought they, sh- they were going to progress a little bit more. Um, and... I think the only big bright spot outside of, uh, you know, Armando Broya, who I think he fell off a lot in the second half of the season, um, but James Ward-Prowse. I mean, the guy was a, an absolute beast this season. He had uh, 10 goals and five assists, you know, was the, the captain of the team. In, in all the big performances that Southampton had, you know, he was he was the catalyst for that. And... Uh, I think he should move possibly to another club like Tottenham or something like that, where he could he could get some regular game time and be a, a bigger a part of a bigger team. Um, and for me, the the biggest disappointment's got to be Adam Armstrong, who signed for like twenty three or twenty four million over the summer. He was supposed to be the this you know up and coming youngish striker coming into the Premier League to get them goals and, and taking it to the next level and he only got two goals and two assists played a decent bit just just didn't really get it going this season so he kind of feels a little bit like uh like another you know championship level striker who's just not going to make it in the Premier League yeah I had him as my biggest disappointment as well they brought him in before they brought Broya in he started the first couple of games I think even scored like 10 minutes into his debut against Everton but yeah, only managed one more goal after that in those you know twenty three appearances. Uh, 
I, I mean, I think he still could come good uh, when when Broya, you know, isn't there next season. Uh, but yeah, for for this season, yeah, definitely a disappointment. And for the biggest surprise, I, I was leaning towards Broya, but like you said, he fell off a bit. So I'm I'm gonna go slightly from left field and say Mohamed Salisu, the uh, Ghanaian center back that they signed the previous season. Again, he's he's not perfect. He still has a mistake in him every now and then, but. There were some really like dominant defensive displays from him in like the two games against Manchester City, where they, they got uh, two draws uh, early in the season when they they drew Manchester United in like the second game of the season at home. Uh, yeah, he had some games against some top quality opposition where he really stood out as a uh, as a defensive player for them. So um, only six clean sheets, but I, I think he was a, a nice surprise for Southampton. Aston Villa ended up in fourteenth place far off from uh, where I think they would have hoped they'd finish or, uh, before the season, uh, but they got their manager of the future in Steven Gerrard. I'm giving them a 67, uh, like just a hair below Southampton, because I kind of expected Southampton to be down at this part of the table. Aston Villa, I did not anticipate that at all. Uh, so I, I have a D for them, even though things like their prospects going forward still look a lot better. I'm grading for this season alone. Uh, how about yourself? You made me think about it, Alex, and yeah, I'm I'm gonna give I, I I'm giving them a 65. I think they had a D season as well. Um, I think that they just did not perform at all to the level of expectation that everyone placed. Uh, all these signings they that spent they had so much. Yeah, they had Buendia, Ings, Leon Bailey. All these. Now I have a caveat signings. to that. I uh, I have a grade for Steven Gerrard himself, and from when he came in. And I have an 81 for him. So I think, you know, he not only kept Villa up easily, but he there were some good performances in there. And, uh, you know, even on the last day of the season, that, that giving Manchester City a run for their money was was awesome to see. So uh, I, was, I was most surprised with Philippe Coutinho. I did not expect him to... Uh, really take up the, the, the role at Aston to Villa. Join. And now he's yet to join Aston Villa and pl- get five goals, three assists, be the leader in that team and look good. And yeah, welcome back to the Premier League. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be annoying to play against him for the for the foreseeable future because he still seems like a pretty good player in there. Um, and my biggest disappointment was just the entire back line. Like I thought like everyone in that back line underperformed um, especially the center backs, you know, Tyron Mings. I thought Chambers wasn't bad. I, I've got to cut you off because my biggest surprise is Matty Cash. I thought he was amazing. Oh, this okay. Season. That's fair enough. Matty Cash was fantastic. And he's part of the but... back line. Also, right. Digne was good when he came in, and I know it was only half the season, but, you know, those right. two Maybe players. Maybe I should change I it like to the center feel... backs, Alex. The center backs. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm in line with you there. Mings and Kansa. I could kind of, I've kind of seen it with uh, with Mings before, but I think to me he's just people just get infatuated with like his size and athleticism when in actuality he's not that good of a defender. Uh, but yeah, like we mentioned in previous pods, it looks like they're making the signings to uh, to fix that. Uh, but my biggest disappointment for Aston Villa uh, is Leon Bailey. Uh, I think a lot of it is due to injuries, so I'll, I'll leave that caveat there. But you know, Buendia. Ings, Danny Ings, That's the striker shout, they signed. Alex. A yeah, lot I didn't of think about Leon a lot Bailey. of their signings. A lot of their signings did really well, but I, think I didn't Leon even Bailey, remember he was on the team. So yeah, that's definitely a big yeah. disappointment. And again, I'm probably being harsh because injuries did affect him. But you know, there were 18 appearances in there uh, in the season. You know, a little, little under half the season, uh, and he finished the season with one goal and two assists. And yeah, I don't know. I was I expected more. I expected a lot more from him. Moving on to Brentford, Javier, you gave them a ninety. I'm gonna one up you here. I'm giving them a ninety-two. Yeah, an no, A-. I mean uh, they're me. they're the only team in the bottom half that I'm giving a A, any type of A, um, and I think you know a ninety because not only they stayed up, but the style that they did it, the the how electric their home stadium was, how even from the first, you know, game of the season against Arsenal to the last game, they were, they were always fun to watch. They were always, uh, you know, very rarely got blown out, you know, which is rare coming into the Premier League as a new team. So 
I I just so impressed with Brentford with the whole organization with their coaching. I know that for a fact that Arsenal's you know taken multiple coaching staff from Brentford when they were down in the Championship and they they haven't skipped a beat. You know Brentford is just a phenomenal organization and a great addition to the Premier League. Um, I, had, I there were so many surprises that I could have picked pretty much anyone in their midfield, but I had to give it to Christian Eriksen because. I never thought, you know, no, a lot of us never thought he was ever going to play at the professional level again. And to play as well as he yeah. did in those few games that he played, you know, he got a goal and four assists and just kind of elevated that Brentford team who were in a slump before he, he started playing. He just came into the team and switched them back into the, the, the great early season form that we saw with them. So I, I just so impressed with Erickson, impressed with Brentford as an organization and, and just really quickly, my, my disappointment was that, that I think that David Raya injury, I think it kind of derailed them for a while because they didn't have their first choice goalkeeper and he was out for about three months and they, they lost a bunch of games during that time. They weren't nearly as good defensively. So I think when he came back, Erickson came into the team, you know, the, the team got back into a groove and, and were super, you know, finished the season very, very strong. And I, I think they're going to continue that next season. I think they've got to add to this. They've got to make more signings. You know, probably keep try to keep Christian Eriksen, but all of these things are uh, are good for for Brentford. Yeah, I, I agree with basically everything everything you said. The uh, ninety two for me is basically based off the fact that when the season ended a week or two ago, two weeks ago, I went back and listened to our season preview pods, and even though both of us had Brentford to stay up out of those three promoted teams, and we were right. We, we both agreed that it was going to be by the skin of their teeth. We thought they were going to be in 17th, just barely, uh, you, know, you know, staying safe for next season. And they transcended that expectation. And it was through the signing of Christian Eriksen that I think it, it kept them out of that relegation battle. And they just propelled themselves further up the table, had that huge win at Chelsea, the 4-1. Uh, yeah, I, that... That, to me, gets them into, you know, a, a few points higher than a 90. Uh, but my biggest surprise, again, along with the same lines as Anthony Gordon for Everton, I, I would say Christian Eriksen for, for Brentford, but kind of anticipating that you were going to go with Eriksen. I went with uh, Johan Wiesa, the uh, the uh, backup center forward that they had, who played a lot of games for them when uh, Ivan Toni was out injured. Um and scored seven goals, scored like a big win- winner at West Ham right at the death. Uh, so, and it worked his ass off as a sort of, you know, a backup center forward option. I, I had never heard of him before this season, and he came in and was a pleasant surprise. Uh, and the biggest disappointment I have for Brentford is uh, Josh De Silva, the, uh, the box-to-box midfielder who was a huge part of their promotion campaign he did have a back injury that he was carrying coming into this season that uh, you know a lot of people didn't think he would be back until November or December Uh, he only ended up making like nine appearances for them and you know it's probably harsh because back injuries are you know really hard and like inconsistent uh, in in terms of how you predict recovery from them Uh, but I was expecting a lot more from him this season but they didn't end up needing it so uh, maybe a bit harsh, but you know that, that kind of shows like how good of a season Brentford had. That that's like the biggest disappointment that I can point out. Crystal Palace finished in twelfth place. Javier, you had them uh, as one of the relegation candidates for uh, this season. What's your grade for them? And uh, you, you can give your apologies to Patrick Vieira now. Yeah, I'm very for sorry, not believing Patrick. In him. I uh, I can't believe I didn't believe in you, um, but uh, I I couldn't have expected. I'm just going to off the bat here. Gallagher is my surprise. You know, I had no idea this kid was going to come in and get eight goals. Fuck you. That's not a surprise. Galvanized the entire team. Just, you know, every time he played, Palace looked so much better. Uh, I'm going to give Palace an 82. You know, I think they were a solid. Maybe No, 83. I'll say an 83. I think they were a solid, uh, you know, never really in any, any relegation trouble. And played some entertaining stuff at times. Um, the only, you know, kind of disappointing thing was that they fell off midway through the season. But you get that with a young side, new manager. It was kind of hard to find a disappointment in the team because so many players played well throughout the season. But if I had to pick one, it would be Christian Benteke, who started off the season well. He, I think he had a couple of goals early on and just 
didn't really carry on that the the same attacking prowess that the rest of the attackers in the side. You know, Zaha got to 14 goals this season. You know, Gallagher eight goals, Benteke four goals, one assist. Just not enough for a, for a center forward. He's 31 years old. I mean, I think he's going to probably leave Crystal Palace. They have Mateta now, who is playing over him. You know, he was he Hudson ended up being Edward. yeah. Hudson Edward, even uh, Jordan Ayew, so they he was like a fifth fifth choice striker at this point, and I'm sure he's going to go have to go play in somewhere else because he's not good enough for the Premier League. Yeah, I have an 85 uh, for Crystal Palace, uh, just a flat B. Uh, and yeah, it, it's it's it was a very surprising season. Uh, and the the biggest surprise I have from Palace was Patrick Vieira himself. I, I don't, I mean, maybe it's because I'm a Chelsea fan, but I wasn't surprised at all that Gallagher was good and that Mark Gahey ended up like be- becoming one of the best center backs in the Premier League. Those aren't surprises to me. Patrick Vieira had had kind of an inconsistent managerial career up to now. And I think a lot of people were wondering, like under the circumstances of all that turnover of players leaving and things like that for Crystal Palace, having to shift the entire... Uh, attacking and the the entire style of the team. I think a lot of people thought like, oh, Patrick Vieira, this might be Frank DeBoer 2.0. And, you know, he completely, he completely overachieved from, from that. There's going to be more questions going into next season when they don't have Conor Gallagher anymore. But I don't know. I think I've got a lot more trust in, in Vieira now. He was a very like steady, cool hand throughout the season. Even when things weren't going well for them, he never seemed like he was panicked or... Uh, doubting the players. He just kept finding solutions and, uh, you know, getting the team to bounce back. So, yeah, a lot of praise for Patrick Vieira. That was a big season for him in his managerial career. And and my biggest disappointment is Luka Milivojevic. He used to be a linchpin in Palace's midfield, ended this season with no goals and no assists, kind of an afterthought and not really part of Vieira's plans anymore. Wow, that's pretty shocking. He used to be a set piece monster and like a penalty monster for them, but uh, yeah, I think I think he's a little bit past it, and this is the season uh, that'll end his Premier League career. Last but not least, Newcastle finished in eleventh place after. Uh, let me get this right. They didn't record their first Premier League win until December fourth, and they finished in eleventh. Javier, what is your grade for Newcastle? Well, I mean, I would have given them like a 30 for the first half of the season and then like a 90 for the second half. So I came out to around an 81. Uh, I think a B minus. I think the amount of money they spent and the expectation for the for the team, I mean, they, they should have never been in relegation trouble. So I don't give them that much credit for their amazing run of form in the second half of the season, but I do give them credit for that. So... I think I was most surprised to see uh, a player like Callum Wilson, who was basically out all season injured, still get eight goals in this team and uh, finish the season so strong. You know, I hope he stays fit and can actually get a get a run of games in the side with uh, real midfielders like Bruno Guimaraes behind him. And you know, a lot of positives for Newcastle coming into the 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 second half of the season. But I think the one negative that I could really find was Joe Willock, who scored seven or eight goals in a row for them, you know, on loan last season, signs for them for big money, and then, you know, gets two goals and zero assists, and was just not the same player that he really was, um, you know, on loan. And it's why I didn't want him at Arsenal, because I thought he wasn't consistent enough, and he's shown it even at Newcastle. So, disappointing for from him for me, but I think Newcastle, great Good season for them overall. Good building blocks for next year. And Eddie Howe was a great manager to pick up. And I think he's going to be a, a, a good addition to the Premier League with uh, money in his hands. You know, he's going to he's gonna be a, a force to be reckoned with. You're going to be shocked, but I gave Newcastle a 90. An A-. minus. After Eddie Howe came in, I think they had the third best form in the Premier League behind Manchester City and Liverpool. Uh, a good amount of that time, because he, he, I think he came in around November... So about a month and a half of that time was spent with, you know, none of the signings like Gimaraish uh, or Trippier or anyone like that, that that sort of 
propelled them to that great form in, in the second half of the season. But, you know, he, he still managed to turn results around a little bit, got them that, that first win, got them a few draws to just sort of hold them out until the transfer window opened and they could basically splash the cash. Because I, I can't remember when exactly the takeover was confirmed, but I, I think you and I were not, maybe this is bad research on our part, we were not even considering the takeover in our season previews. Uh, it, it kind of came out of nowhere that it was finalized and that the Saudis would, you know, be allowed to take over the club uh, in that October, November period. And um, that just sort of changed the whole outlook of the club. Now they're a club that, you know, not only were they far outside of the relegation battle eventually after starting the season so terribly, but they're a club that a bunch of teams in the top half of the table are looking at over their shoulders at and thinking like, oh, fuck, they're coming. Like, oh, God, what are we going to do about that? So, um, yeah, it was a complete paradigm shift at Newcastle. And, uh, you know, once they had the money, they, you know, went out and spent. But I, I wouldn't say they were too wasteful. And uh, those players ended up being, you know, big contributors for them. Um, my big surprise for the season was Joe Ellington. He he has been. Well, I think everyone would class would have classified him as a terrible signing up until about January, and Eddie Howe has just turned him into a box to box midfield god. Like his new Philip Billing god. Yeah, yeah, and you know this is a guy who was signed as a forty million like center forward from Hoffenheim to get them the goals a couple of seasons ago, and what and Eddie Howe just didn't give up on him and just converted him into one of the best box-to-box midfielders in the league. So that that's a huge development for them as a team and for, you know, his career. Uh, and the biggest disappointment was actually one of those signings for me. Chris Wood, they just spent $25 million, uh, to get him. And, you know, maybe it was a good signing because it kind of neutered Burnley and uh, took away, like, their best goal scorer. But he only scored twice for them in 17 appearances after arriving in January. And, yeah, I just... Kind of feel like it was that was the only signing of those ones they made in January that like didn't really make sense and felt like they wasted that and they could have gotten someone a little bit better. So, yeah, Chris Wood for me is their biggest disappointment. Well, we've certainly gone over, but uh, we, we've learned our lesson. You know, we've got to. Yeah, we got to pace ourselves better next time. Not talk. Uh, the, 10 the, minutes no, I, I think we've learned the lesson. These are going to be about fifty minutes to fifty-five minutes, because uh, I, I doubt the the grades next week are going to get much shorter with uh, the right. top half. So, right. Javier, thanks for jumping on late on this one. Good luck to Peru. I'm sure you and I will speak before then, Thank but you know, you. on the pod, gonna, vamos Peru, vamos Peru, vamos Peru, carajo. If you want to follow us on Twitter. You can follow Javier at JavierRev9. You can follow me at ASMoss92. And you can follow the podcast socials at GhostGoalPod. Enjoy those World Cup qualifiers this weekend. And until next time, see you.